Everybody say passion. passion. Say it like you mean it. Passion. 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 Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Let me break that down real quick so you have an understanding of what that means. Talking about your heart, that's the spirit of who you are. That's your spirit. That's the innermost per person who you are. Your soul, your mind, will, and your emotion. Your mind is your intellect. And it says with all your strength. That's your, that's your bodily function, your might. This is the first commandment. That's what Jesus said. I'll read it one more time. You shall love, this is the commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Touch your neighbor and say, you fanatic you. Just tell him, you fanatic you. I believe that's what God's looking for today. I believe for all of us as the church to go to the next level, not just this church, but the church at large, the body of Christ, I believe for that to happen, we're going to have to give him our hearts, all of it, our minds, come on, y'all, our soul and our strength to get to that next place. Notice it doesn't say anything about being half-hearted. One thing I found out with following God, it takes a lot of passion and it takes a lot of heart. And God does not want us to do anything with half of a heart. So nothing half-hearted, everything, everything, everything with God is full throttle, pedal to the metal, giving God everything and not forsaking or letting him not have everything we have to give, to offer. And I remember going back, back you know, years ago, matter of fact, the Bible, actually Jesus prophesied and said to the church of Laodicea that, you know, you've left your first love. You got a lot of great things. You got prosperity. You're touching the city. I mean, you got you're feeding the poor. You're taking care of the widows. You're doing good stuff. But one thing that you neglect, you've left your first love. And that's what happens to a lot of us Christians as we get a little bit older in Christ. You know, we mature and, you know, we used to pray around the clock 24-7. Didn't care if we slept. We were so in love with Jesus. We couldn't see straight. Church is only twice a week. Are you kidding me? Are the backsliders over that church? We should have church every single night of the week and all day on Sunday. That's the way we thought when we got saved. Come on, can't we just have more church and be together more often and, 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 and go out in the streets more often and tell more people about Jesus? And, and I used to think when I first got saved or came back to the Lord, I thought, why are there 49,001 denominations? What's wrong with the church? Why can't we just be a church? Everybody comes together. I couldn't understand why there was 14, I didn't understand there was 14, I couldn't understand why there was 14 churches on Fond du Lac. I mean, whatever we're at. Come on, somebody. You go down the street, there's one at the church over here, and the church of the first congregation, church of the second congregation, used to be part of the first congregation. Come on, somebody. And, and we all, I thought, why can't we just be the church? Why is there all this? And I get it, there are differences and all that, but I found out most of those churches split because of different reasons. They couldn't get along with each other. It wasn't because God called them to. It's because they just couldn't get along with each other. And they were half-hearted in their worship with God because I found out when your worship is strong with God, you want to unify. You want to get close with people. You're not afraid of that. Amen, somebody. And so I remember, I remember getting that way with the Lord. When I first came back to the Lord, I was so in love with God. I was so excited about God. I had what we call passion. Passion. 
I wanted church every day. I wanted to praise and I wanted to worship. And I, I, I mean, when I was at work, I couldn't, I couldn't think about anything else but, but, but getting alone with God and spending time with the Lord. And I had my little spot I put down in our little basement downstairs, a little desk down there and a little lamp. And I had my Bible and a couple, you know, dictionaries, like Bible dictionaries, concordances and stuff. I had my notepad and my pen. And man, when I had a boom box. We had boom boxes back then, praise God. And that was for my praise and worship. Come on, somebody. Oh, y'all don't hear me. I said, for my praise and worship. And I had my little tapes and stuff down there. And so I would listen to either teaching tape or praise and worship. And I would take notes and I would pray. And then before, before I went to work for an hour and after, I came home. Honey, you'll say this to be true. I, I would come home and several hours every night I'd be in study and prayer and, and talking to God and so in love with God. I mean, I want to do i do anything for him. I beg him, tell me something to do. I'll do it. Whatever you want, I'll, I'll prove to you how much, I, you know, you don't have to prove to God anything, but I, I was new and I just wanted to, I wanted to show him how much I cared. And I remember telling God, you've heard me tell the story before, I love you so much. I love you so much. And we had a, I had a pole. See that pole in the middle of the room right there? By the way, that pole saved us $150,000. If we would have had a larger beam, it would cost me more money and we wouldn't have had a pole. I said, put a pole there. That's okay. Praise God. But I had a pole in the middle of my basement just like that. And I said, Lord, I know this sounds stupid. I said, but that pole right there, I'm going to pretend that's you. And I'm going to go over, I'm going to give that pole the biggest hug it's ever gotten. I said, Lord, fill the pole, fill the pole. And I gave that pole the biggest hug. I hugged that pole for like five minutes, told that pole how much I loved it. Because I was visioning that was God. I mean, I didn't have my theology right. I didn't know that I could just love him without hugging a pole. Come on, somebody. But I was doing everything I knew to do. I was trying to be the best I could. I had passion. I had enthusiasm. I wanted to give him everything that I have. And I love the phrase that this verse uh, has when you, when you look it up on the message translation. It says this, Jesus said, love the Lord God with all your passion. Love the Lord God with your prayer. Love the Lord God with your intelligence. And love the Lord God with your energy. Jesus was saying, if you're going to follow me, give me some energy. If you're going to follow me, give me some enthusiasm. If you're happy and know it, then your face will surely show it. Come on, somebody. In other words, we want, I know you're saved, but your face looks like it's lost. Amen. It looks like there's no hope in your eyes. There's no hope in your frown. You gotta remember, tell your face, you're saved, you're born again, you're going to heaven tonight. Jesus loves you, died for you. And then you're gonna do this, hands, you're gonna clap your hands. And you're gonna do this, feet, you're gonna dance. Clap your hands, all your people, and mouth, you're gonna shout unto God with a voice of enthusiasm triumph, winning, overcoming. Come on, somebody. Jesus said, you're going to follow me. Get some energy. Give it all you got. Put your heart into it. People say, why do you have to have all the lights? Because we want to give it everything we got. Why do you have the smoke machine? Because we want to give it everything we got. Why are the people up there swaying back and forth and smiling and putting their hands and clapping real hard? Because we want to give it some energy and enthusiasm. He deserves it. Message preached years ago, put some flesh in your worship. And everybody, you should never have flesh in your worship. Oh, yes, you should. I'm going to tell you, let me say it one more time. Yes, you do put flesh. Now, you might be thinking something else. 
Now, you all were not embarrassed when you used to be in the club. Can somebody talk to me tonight? And you was in the club, and they had your song. Oh, this is my song. And you put that drink down, and you went on, hey. And you were getting it. Come on, somebody. You didn't care what anybody thought. You didn't care what anybody was saying. Come on, somebody. You was high. You put some enthusiasm in it. Come on, somebody. For a Prince song. That's going way back. Praise God. Amen. But now we get in the house of God, and now you can't even clap your hands. Well, I don't want to be fleshy. No, the Bible says, go ahead and put your hands together. Clap like you lost your mind. When do we clap? When our team wins, we put our hands together. We dance. Some of us are better than others, praise God. Some of us got better rhythm than the others got, praise God. Amen. I was going to say something, I'm going to leave it right there. Praise the Lord. In fact, this truth of enthusiasm and passion is all throughout the word of God. You find it from A to Z or Genesis to Revelations. Or one person said from contents to maps. You find it all the way through the word of God. Look at what Colossians 3.23 says. And whatever you do, and whatever you do, do it heartily or passionately as to the Lord and not to men. This includes your job. When you're at your job, you're supposed to be working for God. I'm preaching, Ben. Y'all want to shout now. Y'all like the club. Come on, somebody. But now we're talking about the job. No, no, no. I mean, you don't understand what I'm going through. The job. I understand. You know, when you understand who you really work for? You won't be looking at your boss that way no more. You won't be talking behind their back. They ain't going to get on your last nerve. Because I do my work as unto the Lord, as if he's signing my checks. And I do it passionately. I do it wholeheartedly. I don't hold back. And by the way, speaking as an employer that I am, I look for people that want to give their best. You don't think you boss them don't know the person that's given the least versus the one that gives the best, and the one that gives the best is the one that's going to be promoted. Here's the amazing thing. In America, it's okay to be passionate about anything, almost anything but God. It's just not politically correct to be passionate about God. You can be passionate about movies, passionate about sports, passionate about politics or fashion, passionate about restaurants, but you can't be passionate about God. That's taboo in our society. That's almost a no-no. At work, try interrupting a discussion about politics and say something positive about the Lord Jesus Christ and see what happens in the break room. I mean, I could almost leave the Lord out of it and just say, say something positive in a discussion about politics and watch what happens. They'll turn on you. Nonetheless, bringing Jesus into it, everything begins to switch and change. It's like, how dare you talk about the Lord? How dare you talk about Jesus in this conversation? You can talk about anything but that. 
And that's a problem for me. Matter of fact, the more I, people tell me I can't do something, I don't know what it is. My mother said it was rebellion. I don't know if it was rebellion. Probably is a little bit rebellious. But when tell, someone tells me no, I just got to do it anyways. Don't sit here. Why? Y'all don't, you do the same thing. And so I feel the same way with the culture. When culture tells me, shush, I want to get louder. Why? I've got passion. And as long as we live in America, we got the same constitutional rights as anybody else, and we can get up on any street corner we wish or tell anybody we want about the Lord Jesus Christ, and nobody can shut you down. Oh, they might try, but they can't. Amen. It's interesting. I can show as much emotion and passion I want about sports or a concert. And if I do that, they go, wow, they're, they're really a fan. They, they, they painted their body green and gold. And they're out there in, 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 in Lambeau Field at 20 below zero going, ha, going crazy without a shirt on. Look at that fan. Wow, he really loves his team. But have one person carry a Bible. Or get up early to come to church. And all the neighbors go, what kind of weird fanatic is that? Romans 12.10 says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love in honor, giving preference to one another. Wow. Not lagging in diligence or zeal and passion. Diligence, zeal, and passion. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. That word fervent means on fire. Fervency means to be on fire. Not lagging in zeal and passion and on fire in the spirit, serving the Lord. Notice it's not automatic. It's a choice. It's a discipline. I don't wake up in the morning, most mornings, 99.9% of my mornings are not like, woo! I can't wait to take on the devil today. Especially the older I get. The first thing I go, oh, come on, somebody. I need a little WD-40. Praise God to get up in the morning. But my point is to use this. It's, it's not, I'm not on fire because it's an automatic. I'm on fire because I'm diligent to make sure that certain things are maintained in my relationship with God. And as a result of that, all day long, I'm feeling the fervency and power and the enthusiasm and passion of God all day long. Amen. Amen. You are not by nature passionate about God. Your flesh don't want to clap the hands. Your flesh don't want to shout. Your flesh does not want to get up and dance. Your flesh don't want to run. Your flesh does not want to obey God at all. Your flesh certainly don't want to tell your neighbors about Jesus. And your flesh certainly don't want to put down a Big Mac and fast. Am I right about it? But because I am diligent in what God says to do, therefore, as a result, his passion comes. It's not my nature to be passionate about God. It's something I make a decision to do every single day of my life. I'm reminding myself of what Jesus did for me on the cross of Calvary. I remember the day I got right. I don't know about you, but I rehearsed that day a lot. The day I gave my life to Jesus 100%. 
And I tell him how thankful I am and how grateful I am that he came into my life. What's happening? Fire gets stoked. I start getting excited about God. But one of the things that I find that will take out your passion is distraction. And when you start getting distracted, and I, that's not even my message. I just threw that in the last second because I want to talk about it. I got other things I want to talk about before we get out of here. But distraction is a, is a, is a big deal. We start getting distracted by the things of the world. Uh, we start getting distracted by uh, our circumstances that we feel like we can't control. Distracted by politics. Distracted by the news. Distracted by um, um, uh, worldly activities. Distracted by friends and relationships we shouldn't have. All of that plays, begins to take a toll on the passion we have for Jesus. Um, I put down a couple things. Even this, having a vacation mentality. Everybody's working for the weekend. We have that mentality. I'm just working to get to the weekend. And the idea is I just get to my Friday night and finally I got Saturday and Sunday to just relax or do what I want to do. And that's where my passion is. You, that's not what Jesus, Jesus wants us to live 24-7 on fire for him. Whether we're at the grocery store, at the job, at our house, or at church. And the vacation mentality is, I got to get out of Dodge. I got to need some time for myself. And you might, that might be true. But you'd have to make sure you don't put that as a priority in your life. God will honor that. God will give you time. That's all fine and good. But that should not become a, a major distraction in your life because it distracts you from the work that God has put in front of you, the work, the, 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 he, the ministry God has given you, and everybody has one. By the way, passion is ageless. And our church has gotten older as I've gotten older. And, and so and we still have a lot of young people coming in, praise God, because the young, the Bible talks about the glory, of the, young, the glory of the young is their strength. But the wisdom of the old is the gray hair. So it talks about, the Bible talks about that we need both of them. It's like having them in a ship or a boat. And I, but the older people, their back isn't as strong as it used to be. Their arms isn't as strong as it used to be. But boy, they can navigate a ship. They can tell you where to go. They know how to, how to chart, chart the stars and make sure the, the, the maps are correct to get you to your destination. But the young people, they're not mature in that. They, have, they don't have that experience. But man, they got a strong back, man. They can pull hard with them arms, right? Because they're young. You need both in the house of God. If the young people... Stop coming to faith builders, you will find out the church will slowly begin to be stagnant and die. That's just how it goes. But as long as the young people can do it, we got to put up with the stuff, but we got to grow them up, praise God. That's good. But for years, when we were starting out, we just had young people, very few older people. We need both. You have to have the wisdom of the old like you have the young as well for the strength. And so you see in the scriptures, and this is good for those that are getting older, that Caleb and Joshua... They were part of the 12-tribe team that was set out by Moses. Ten of them come back and say, we're not able to go. They're too big. They're too, it's too vast. It's, it, the lamb's consuming. We're, we wouldn't even know where to begin. And, and they're, there's giants, and they're, they're, they're not ready to give up, and they're, they're, they're expert warriors. And Moses said, okay, what say you, Jacob and Caleb? And they're already in their 80s. They're in their 80s, guys. And they said, what, are you kidding me? It's a land that flows with milk and honey. They're big. Yeah, they're big. No problem. God will anoint us just like he's always anointed. Let's take them. Let's take them. Let's go for it. Let's defeat our enemies. So you can still have passion and zeal for God even as you're approaching your twilight years. Yesterday, well, I'm going to tell that a little bit later today, tonight. Let me just say this. That... 
when you find out that you're going to marry somebody, the love of your life, and, and that, that person means everything, you know, you started dating them. And you'll notice that when you first get married, you're still kind of in that dating phase. You're still going out to eat and sending little cards and little notes and flowers. And we notice that over time, those things begin to fade away. And they're not usually, usually what happens in a marriage is if they're not careful, uh, that, 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 that their love will begin to begin to separate. Even though they live in the same house, they almost become strangers after a certain amount of time. So we always say, when my wife and I are talking to people, we always say, continue to date that person. My wife and I go on unofficial dates all the time. You'll see us here and you'll see us there in the city doing everything because she's my best friend. By the way, sir, your wife should be your best friend. Well, I already got best friend. No, 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 you got it wrong. Your woman, your wife. She needs to be your best friend. I don't tell anybody anything first before I tell her. And she don't, as far as I know, praise God, she don't. <laughs> she tells me first, praise God, amen. Because we're friends, right? We like to hang out with each other. Not every day. Come on, somebody, be honest about it. But sometimes she's got her place in her house. I got my place in my house. And the two don't meet. Come on, somebody. Because she's not in agreement with me about something, praise God. And so she does her thing. And by the end of that, we come together. With something like that. But by and large, we're together 24-7. My point of bringing that up is, is that it's the same thing. That when people begin to, in a marriage, begin to separate, is because they quit setting dates. To be together. To be friends. To get caught up. To have a cup of coffee. To get some dinner. To do something romantic. Well, it happens the same way with our relationship with God. In the beginning, we set all kinds of dates with God. We couldn't wait to get with God. We told him so. After a while, serving him, you know, 10 years or whatever, five years, whatever it is. After a while, next thing you know, we're not setting dates anymore. We're throwing up a Hail Mary prayer every now and again. Lord, you know how it is today. Father Jesus, bless me and everybody up there. Hallelujah. In Jesus' name, amen. And that's all we do. Y'all looking at me like you've never thrown a Hail Mary prayer in your life and you do it every day. Lord, you know I just don't have time today. So, Father, in the name of you, I plead the blood of Jesus upon everything. And I thank you, Lord God, for this day, for this day, Lord, and may I rejoice be glad. Hallelujah! In Jesus' name, amen. Tomorrow will be better, I promise. We've all done that. We've all done that. I'm saying that if you want your passion back, you want your zeal back, you set dates with God. You say, tonight's your night, Lord. Tonight, I'm a little tired, but you know what? You're not. You're up. And because you're up, I'm up. And I want to hear your heart. I'm going to spend some time with you. Everybody's in bed right now. I'm going to put on a little cup of coffee here and a little bit of worship music. And I'm spending time with the Almighty tonight. Lord, speak on. What do you want to say? If you don't want to say nothing but hold my hand, I'm okay with that too. Just sit right next to me. I want to spend some time with you. Amen. That should not be a foreign thing to us. That should be something we do on a regular if we want enthusiasm, if we want that kind of passion in our lives. Sometimes when Christians lose their zeal, they'll blame the church that they go to. Many times you'll find that out. That's not the case at all. It's just that your relationship has not been where it's supposed to be. Well, you know, if the pastor would preach a certain sermon, I'd be right there with him. I, you know, I, I, then I'd understand what I need to do. Or oh, that's that music team, my God, sing a song I actually like. Then I know, no, that has nothing to do with any of this. Church, can I just say this because it's a Thursday night crowd and I know I can. 
Sunday, I might have a problem. But Thursday, I can tell you like it is. I want to tell you this. Grow up. Grow up. Quit blaming people. Well, you know, don't hear me out. Hear me out. I'm church hurt. I hear you. But 99% of that stuff is nonsense. And once in a while, you get a story that will tear your heart up and go, oh, my God, this is bad. Most of that stuff is just emotions. And the reason why I haven't served God in 10 years is because the pastor hurt me. Are you, ain't no pastor on planet Earth that can hurt me to make me backslide from the Almighty. The problem is you put your stock in man. I don't put my stock in man. Man's going to let me down. And I'm talking to you as one. But my God will never let me down. They can all, they can all slip away from God. They can all backslide. They can all steal all the money, take all the women, all the men. We live in a weird time, praise God. And none of that's going to affect me. I'm sorrowful that it happened, but my relationship stays strong. I still have passion. I still have enthusiasm. My God's still real. My God's still on the throne. Everybody say, grow up. So that's what we're going to look at tonight for just a few more minutes because I see my time slipping. We're going to walk through this real quick. Um, there are six different passion killers I want to leave with you tonight that will rob the joy right out of your life. Um, let's look at the first one. The first one is an unused talent. An unused talent. An unused talent will cause you to lose your passion for life and your passion for God. 1 Peter 4.10 says, as each one has received a gift, did you know that every one of you have received a gift from God? What does he say to do with it? What's he say? Minister it. If you received a gift from God, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. God gives everyone a gift and then makes us responsible to use the gift he gives us. But you don't have to have my gifting. Oh, if I could just uh, preach like pastor or sing like one of the singers or, 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 or be an artist like some of our artists that we have here or act like some of our actors. That's not, but that's okay. That's not the gift that you have. There are things you can do that I cannot do. Matter of fact, there's a lot of things you can do that I can't do. Some of you are incredible at baking, cooking. Uh, some of you are incredible. Uh, you have an eye for detail. Some of you are incredible uh, at business. Some incredible numbers. Some incredible with loving people. I would pass right by them. I wouldn't see them, but you don't. You see the hurt right away, and you go in. This is amazing. Whatever gift God's given you, he says, your responsibility is to minister it to one another as a good steward. Notice God gives you certain talents, abilities, uh, personalities, and giftings. Uh, my gifts are for your benefit, and your gifts are for my benefit. Really, my gift is not for me. It's for me to give away. And your gift really isn't for you. It's for you to what? Give away. I, I, I'm not mad at nobody tonight. But I, I'm, I keep making these points like I'm mad at people. I'm mad at nobody. But one more point I want to say about this is we can't continue to be selfish. It's not about me all day long. And trust me, I want it to be. I want what I want, just like you do. But the truth of the matter is, this is a selfless gospel. We're supposed to take what he gives us and then give it away. Well, I'll have nothing left. No, you won't. He fills you back up again. 
with the gift and then matures the gift. And the gift gets bigger and better and stronger and brighter. If you don't use your talents, you're going to lose your passion. God did not give you special abilities just to sit on them and then do nothing with them or nothing about them. God says, I want you to use it or you're going to lose it. Some of you are experiencing what I would call like spiritual atrophy. You know what I'm talking about? When a muscle's not used after a while, it begins to shrink up and becomes very weak to the point that it can't be used, and then ultimately it will not be able to be used. You've got to make sure when you have surgery, if you have knee replacement surgery, the first thing they get you doing that day is walking on a mechanical knee that they just opened you, laid you open on, and it's pain, and they get you walking, and then the next day or the day after that, they got you in therapy. And they're taking that sucker and they're bending it in ways that you're, when you were, had a good knee, you couldn't bend your leg. Why? Because it, they can't allow that muscle to, to have atrophy in it. Otherwise, it'll shrink up and become worse off than it was before the surgery took place. Amen. Let me get specific. If you're stuck in a job that does not use your talents to any degree, you are inevitably going to lose your zeal and zest and passion in life. It's going to cause burn out. So if you're in a job right now paying the bills, first of all, I want to say, God bless you because you're doing the right thing. But what you've got to do, and this is another message for another time, you've got to lift up your eyes and have vision and go, I'm not going to stay here, though, the rest of I thank you, Jesus. i got a paycheck, but this is not my life forever. Studies have shown that 70% of all Americans are in a job that does not even use the talents that they have. What does that do? It creates frustration. It creates unhappiness. Yes, we should work, no doubt about it, but we should be always looking, how can I use? And I'll tell you what I found out. Some people have jobs that they don't care for that much, but they're thankful that they got them. But when they come to church, they find their gifts are being used in different ways. And so it kind of cross-cancels for a while. They find happiness and joy because they're being used somewhere else with their gifting, which would be the church, but yet they go back to a job that they know how to do, but it's just not what they're called to do. You do that for a season, the church will cause you to grow and get more mature in your gifting. So when it's your time for the door to open, the church was actually your surrogate to make you healthy, make you wise, make you to a place of opportunity. Amen, somebody. To get you to a place where you're prepared for your future. I cannot tell you how many people have been in this church that we have prepared for their future. There are other churches maybe serving today, but they're serving, praise God. And they'll contact me, and they'll say great things, and they'll say, thank you so very much. If it wasn't for the church, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be where I'm at today. Why? Because we had them doing their gifting. Their job wasn't doing it, but God allowed them to do it in the house of God. That's so vital and important. Number two, the second thing will cause passion to leave you, be killer, be killed in your, off in your life, is number two, is an unconfessed sin. This is a big one, church. Unconfessed sin. Few things rob us of joy, confidence, and passion more quickly than guilt. Here's how guilt works with us and the sin in our lives. Um, we don't walk around thinking, uh, I, I have a sin in my life. I, I'm a very guilty person. No, we rationalize it consciously. Consciously, we think, it's okay. Everybody's doing it. I'm not the only one out here. It's no big deal. But subconsciously, we know what the word says. 
and it begins to gnaw at us. Subconsciously, whenever it gets quiet and, and we're not around everybody else, uh, and that, that's when guilt begins to pop up into our mind. We go, I know I shouldn't be doing this. This is not what you want me to do. Subconsciously, right now, as I'm talking about it, it begins to pop up in your mind because you know the areas of the weakness of your life. And my job isn't to point that out. My job is to point you to him. And when I point you to him, the Holy Spirit will convince you. That's what he does of what's right and what is wrong. Here's the truth about us as human beings. We cannot feel enthusiasm and guilt at the same time. If you want passion, it'll never happen with guilt in your life at the same time. It's an unconfessed sin. You can't feel guilt and passion at the same time because guilt, by its very definition, robs you of passion. Psalms 38.4, I don't know if I gave this to them back in the back, but Psalms 38.4 says this, my guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am bowed down and I am brought low. That's what guilt does. It brings us down. It's too heavy to bear. Jesus came to right the wrongs. Jesus came to, to cause the sin to be forgiven. He came to bring righteousness or right standingness back with God. You were not meant to carry guilt around all your life. You were meant to deal with the wrongdoing immediately, and then the grace of God through the blood of Jesus Christ will not only cover the sin, but forgive and remove the sin from your life. Everybody say the grace of God. We make that statement there about the grace of God. Go I. We hear that a lot. And we talk about the grace of God. Grace is not given to us for us to sin. And we go, oh, we got grace. It covers us. That's not what grace means. Grace is given to us. It's the ability. It's the power of God. Grace is the ability and power of God in our lives so we don't sin. I have a grace on my life to not continue down this road in my life any longer. And I feel the Holy Ghost convincing many people in this room, there are things you're going to heaven but are keeping you from the joy of God, the passion of God, the zeal of God, and your destiny because it's an unrepented or unconfessed sin. That's his promise to us. To confess just means you agree with God. You just say, God, I agree with you. It is a sin. Not going to make, make up any excuses. What I did was wrong. I agree with you. And I want to begin to live the kind of life that you want me to live. Help me, Lord. And he will. Number three is unresolved conflict. I got to move fast. Unresolved conflict. Conflict just drains the passion right out of you. You ever have a, having a good day and then somebody says something to you and you don't have a chance to say something back and there's unresolved conflict and it just ruins your day because all day long you're thinking about that joker. Come on, someone say amen. Am I right about that? Let's be honest about this. Some of you, you're in situations at home or at work where the conflict is constant. Maybe you're even doing all that you can to minimize the conflict, but it keeps coming from the other source or the other person up over and over. How do you keep your passion in a situation like that? You can't control the person. In most cases, that's not going to happen. But you can control the kind of emotions you have in the midst of the conflict. The three emotions that kill our passion in the midst of conflict are resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. Sometimes anger is good because it can get you out of a bind. But prolonged anger is not of God's spirit. 
So resentment, jealousy, and prolonged anger. And Job 5.2 says, For wrath or resentment kills a foolish man, and envy or jealousy slays a simple one. Job 18.4 says, uh, You who uh, tear or hurt yourself in anger, shall the earth be forsaken for you? Or shall the rock be removed from its place? In other words, you're not changing the situation by that. You have to make the decision when it comes to resentment and jealousy and prolonged anger to just simply let it go. Everybody say forgiveness. Learn right away. Agree with your adversary quickly. Release it. Let it go and forgive and move on with your life. Why are my claps getting less and less? I'm stepping on more and more toes. Jesus, help us all. Right, church? Don't wait to forgive. Do it immediately. As soon as that feeling comes up or the old feelings of this or that, say, nope, 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 not ruining my day today. I've got authority over this. I release them in Jesus' name. They're in your hands. Number four, having wrong relationships. Number four. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, and what communion has light with darkness. Sometimes you lose passion for God because you're not spending time around other people who have a passion for God. You're not spending time around other Christians. You can't spend time with non-believers all the time and expect to have passion. Ecclesiastes 4.9 says, Two are better than one. Because they have a good reward for their labor. For it, if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. And that's why we need each other, and that's why we need the church. God didn't raise up the church for it to fall apart and it to go to the internet. No, 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 no. That's only a part and parcel of what God wants to do. He's always designed that the many-membered body would come together even more as the day approached. Why? To lift each other up. Nobody can make somebody go to church. I can't do it. You can't do it. But we just know, we've been doing it for long enough, we know how good it is when brethren come together in unity. Come on, somebody. The anointing can flow. Kononia, fellowship, oneness, uh, lifting one another, companionship. Uh, 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 we begin to become responsible for each other, looking out for each other. We need that. Hebrews 10, 24 uh, says, and, and I just said this, but let me repeat it. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another uh, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Number five. Number five, an unclear purpose will kill passion. An unclear purpose will kill passion. Life without purpose is activity without direction. Can I say that one more time? Life without purpose is activity without direction. It's motion without meaning. When you have a clear purpose, it's going to give you a lot of passion. But church, it's got to be God's purpose for your life first. If you're only living for yourself, then your life is way too small. 
Living for yourself is not enough to get you through the tough times filled, uh, filled when things are bad and, and filled with, with darkness. You've got to have the, that inside notion saying, but I know I'm doing it for others. I'm not just doing it for me. It's to bless other people in my life, whether it be family members, church members, neighbors, or what have you. Paul said, better for me to go, better for you that I stay. In other words, I could finish my course right now. I did what I was supposed to do. But because his ministry is always about other people, it's better that I stay, even if I'm in hell, even if I'm suffering, that I could be here for you and for your sake. Somebody say amen. And last but not least, that will take out your passion is an unbalanced walk with God. An unbalanced walk with God. How do you know uh, it's unbalanced? There's five purposes that we need, to, we need to explore. Number one, you need time. You need times of worship with God every day. Two, you need fellowship with other believers, period. Three, you need to read God's word and grow to be more like Jesus. Four, you need to have ministry where you're using your talents to help other people. And when I say ministry, I'm not saying you got to start a 501c3 or a church because most people are not called to that. But everybody has a ministry that they can do right on Facebook. They can do right in their job. They can do right in their neighborhood. Yeah, absolutely. their family, absolutely. Number five, you need a mission in the world where you're sharing your faith with others. Okay? This is having a balanced walk with God and your Christian life or your your walk with God will explode and be perfectly balanced. Because if it's not balanced, you'll find that you're doing one thing more than the other. Can I say this? When I first started ministry, my life was out of balance. Why? Because ministry became everything to me. Everything to me. And you think, well, that's good, right? No, it's not good. I had a wife and children. I had other responsibilities, and I put that above everything else. Not a good wife that it was understanding, but I knew that that was not right. That's not how God wants things to be. You have to balance things out, right? So my, I had to get my, 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 my priorities with God straight. So even the ministry, you know, for some men can become a mistress, and now you got that on the side. That's not what God wants you to have. God wants you to have a nice balance. And everybody, and then we learned early, let's do ministry together as a team rather than me do it and her at home taking care of the kids. We did it together as a family, as a team. My children are in ministry today. My grandbaby will be in the ministry. Why? Because it's just going to be second nature, just what we, we do as a family, right? Very important to understand that. And that's why I say to some of you single people, take advantage of it right now. The day will change, you'll be married. Until then, you're free to do whatever you want. You don't have to have anybody telling you how to do this, what time to come home, and you didn't make it, and how come you didn't buy me a present for my birthday? Nobody doing any of that kind of stuff. That's why Paul said, I'm free, man. He said, but if you're burning, get married, man. Don't be sleeping with all these different women. Get married, right? Or sleeping with men too, right? Same thing. So, uh, yeah, but make sure it's balanced. Amen? All right, I've got more to say, but I'm going to say I'm done. Praise God. Give the Lord a shout of praise about tonight. Hallelujah.